You're listening to the Wild Heart Diaries with me, Lisa Parks. Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking more about your toxic puddle. So we've talked about what your toxic puddle is and how it came to be. And last time we explored your physical environment. So today it's time to look at your thoughts and feelings. But before we do, I want to ask how you're doing. I've loved hearing from all of you. I've had so much um, interesting feedback and I'm compiling a list of questions and further episodes. So your feedback is, is really helping me create new content. So if there's something you want to hear, please don't hesitate to DM me on Instagram or drop me an email or um, you can actually leave me a message if you go over to Anchor FM. So today is all about your thoughts and your feelings and how you respond to other people's thoughts and feelings, really. And, you know, what about other people's energetic fields? I think as Wild Hearts, we we pick up on those, as we've said before. And I guess the challenge is to work out what is mine and what is yours and how do I keep myself separate from you my thoughts and feelings separate from you without losing the connection the relationship because trauma is a disconnect in the relationship really isn't it? it's disconnect with ourselves and um so so let me explain a bit more when I talk about your mental energy I'm talking about what you choose to think about now you may think that what you think about is not your choice but it is it is your choice um it becomes more of your choice when you make your thoughts conscious which is why i'm such a fan of journaling if your thoughts stay in your unconscious mind we act from those thoughts we act from those thoughts and um we're not aware of them the first step to change is to become aware of what we're thinking what we're thinking it's a really empowering thing to do to write down your thoughts so many of us have what I call stinking thinking (laughs) faulty thinking styles they're called cognitive distortions but let's not uh, therapeutize everything therapize everything what is the word I'm looking for let's not talk like we're reading out of a textbook let's make it relatable so we can understand how it works so one of the ones that I can really relate to is catastrophizing. Um, so, you know, you forget something and then that spirals into being the worst person ever, ever, instead of just acknowledging your messy humanness. And, you know, that comes, that's, I think that's a perfectionistic tendency of mind to catastrophize. Because there's so much shame there when you're a perfectionist. Like you have to show up as perfect to be loved. And if you're not perfect, um, yeah, you feel shit. (laughs) Less so nowadays. So let's just look at the positive element of that. Another faulty thinking style will be black and white thinking. So you you think it can only be one thing or the other thing. There's no shades of grey. You know, we're not we're not always aware of how we're thinking, like I said. And when you write stuff down, instead of it rattling around in your head and 
consuming your every waking moment, which people with anxiety will know is just exhausting. Um, you kind of take the power away when you write it down and you bring it into your awareness and you can start to notice what you're feeding your mind, what you're choosing to think and you can look for patterns and you can look for things that trigger certain thoughts in you and you can look for thoughts and beliefs that don't belong to you. So if you're journaling along today and you can already think about some of the things that you um tend to ruminate on or thoughts that come up for your beliefs that come up for you over and over again then maybe start to write some of those down a belief a belief that we have is a thought that we've just thought thunk over and over again so if every day I think I'm fat or if every day I look in the mirror and I think I'm ugly if I repeatedly do that over the years then I develop a belief that I am not an attractive person and we behave from our beliefs so then I go out and meet people perhaps I go out on a date and the way I carry my body the way that I um, hold myself the way that I uh, talk and and act with another person is all from a belief that I'm not attractive therefore you know they won't like me and whatever other story whatever other story I wrap around those beliefs um, our beliefs, we also inherit beliefs from our, our parents and our family of origin. So if you can think of while you're listening to this, any sort of, um, mantras, I want to say, or sayings or thoughts that don't belong to you. Like I can think of a few. My dad had quite a lot of sayings, major bed, so you can lie in it, which is not true, is it? We, we're allowed to change our minds. Um, my dad used to say, you're only as good as your last, you're only as good as your last, um, day, you know, like the, the last time you did something. So the next time you could do it, it could all be wrong and then you won't be good anymore. You know, that's an example of all or nothing thinking. You can only be good or you can only be bad. Well, actually, sometimes you can be good and bad at the same time because you're human and that is the wonderfulness of being a human being. Um, so let's just say I'm constantly criticized in, in my family growing up. I try really hard to please a parent and repeatedly I never get it right because obviously I'm not a mind reader and it's not my job to work out what makes my parent happy as I'm a child, but that does happen unfortunately. And so I repeatedly think I'm wrong I'm not good enough. I can't get it right. And I develop beliefs around that about myself. So notice your thoughts that have absolutes in them. So I always or I never. And notice thoughts where you're generalizing and universifying everything. Well, everyone had a difficult childhood. Well, everyone's mum does that sometimes. Well, everyone. No, not everyone. Um, that's you know, that's kind of minimizing your experience. So notice those thoughts. And always what I find interesting with the whole right and wrong thing, and I write about this in my book. So in my book, Ruby, the 10 year old protagonist, she can't do right for doing wrong. And she's growing up in a big puddle of trauma 
which leads her into that double bind. And a double bind is when you're backed into a corner, whatever you do is going to be wrong. It's a horrible situation for a child to be in. And also it's unsafe because you need to be loved by those parents around you. So you'll internalize that and make it about you getting it wrong all the time instead of thinking that the parent is being cruel and unkind. Um, And people argue, don't they, to be right or wrong. And that's not the point of conflict. The point of conflict is to reach understanding, is to express feelings, is to uh, reach a resolution. So, you know, if you think that you're having a disagreement with someone to prove a point or to be right, then you've missed the point, really, I suppose. And and that's not to judge anyone for that, because I'm and I'm going to do an episode on conflict because I am so conflict terrified but but mostly because I didn't wasn't taught the skills of how to fight fair and I did an episode actually for that for my kiddies on the podcast because um, I wanted to teach them actually conflict is healthy because you know you're going to have different thoughts and beliefs and opinions to other people and that's okay and you can still coexist you can exist in the same space as someone and not be agreed on everything But lots of families, especially families that are enmeshed, have this group think and it's so toxic because there's no space for individuation, really. And it um, it's not nice to it's 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 oppressive, isn't it? It's not it's you, you can't truly express what you think and feel. So those of you that have anxiety, how many of you do actually play the what if game in your mind? So a thought pattern that's based around future thinking of what if something will go wrong. And if if you if you do that, that's a sign that you're triggered about something and um, you're feeling unsafe, I would imagine, or something's happened to trigger off your anxiety and I find that I do that when I'm feeling unsafe and I've got some feelings that I need to look at and I go up into my head and I start trying to control everything with the what if game and it just makes me more anxious it's just like throwing more logs on the fire of anxiety it just makes the fire bigger um another thinking pattern that I really struggle with is um self-doubt so I don't know how many of you find yourselves doubting yourself. That kind of goes, feeds in back into that one that I was telling you about feeling like you're getting it wrong all the time. Um, constantly questioning myself. But did I remember that right? What What if it wasn't that bad? Did it really happen? And not trusting your own judgment, not staying with your own version of reality. So you're too easily... Uh, you lose yourself in other in the other person in the other person's reality or in the group thinks reality or in the masses you're seeing that now with the whole pandemic thing you know people being too scared to say I don't want to have the vaccine because people that don't have the vaccine apparently are selfish well, well, well again this is all very faulty thinking styles how did you come to the conclusion that someone that's making a choice about their body and their health is selfish? Like that, those two things don't make sense at all, at all. Um, you, you see a lot of um, toxicity in the media 
we are fed thoughts and ideologies and um, stories in the media. I mean, just think about all of the information that you're feeding your brain as you scroll through Instagram or as you scroll through YouTube or as you scroll through Facebook, if you're still on Facebook or TikTok. What are you feeding your mind? Your mind is then full of everyone else's stuff. And this is why I really struggle with social media because I'm still strengthening my mental boundaries. I can't sit in that energy of being full of other people's um thoughts one of the i can't hear myself think for the loudness it's almost like their thoughts are really loud one thing that i found that really helped me with that is to curate my news feed so i have muted and unfollowed tons and tons of people sorry if i've unfollowed you it's not personal i just can't have loads of other people's thoughts in my mind i can't deal with that because at the moment there are points in my day where my thoughts are not that strong I'm self-doubting so therefore I've got to stay with myself and strengthen that that muscle if that makes sense and talking about the perfectionism thing I just quickly go off a bit of a tangent so when I was a kid growing up I developed some OCD tendencies let's say which were which were which were linked into perfectionism and faulty thinking styles and anxiety. And they were also linked into my anxious attachment style. And I keep mentioning attachment styles and I haven't explained what they are, but I will do in future episodes. But hopefully you've got the wherewithal to Google it if you're not sure what I'm talking about. So I would do things at bedtime. So bedtime so making transitions when you're actually attached is really hard. So that's not just about leaving the house. That's about going from the day to nighttime, from downstairs to upstairs, like however anxious you're feeling at the time. And I found bedtime hard. And a lot of children I used to work with find bedtime hard because they're having to leave the parent that they're not securely attached to and be by themselves. And being by yourself is terrifying in a dark room on your own at night time when you're a child and you don't feel safe um and so I would do things like I would wash my feet and I would um snowflake you know like snow angel in my bed lie in the center of my bed and get my duvet to fall on my ankles and make sure that it was symmetrical and I would go to the toilet several times um I call them anxi peas <laughs> Because, you know, have you ever felt like that when you're nervous, like you have to feel like you keep needing to go to the toilet all the time and you don't and you go to the toilet and just a little bit comes out. <laughs> and I was explaining to the children that, you know, that's your anxiety and you'd be surprised how an anxiety manifests in your physical body as tummy aches, headaches, um, your body. If you don't pay attention to your thoughts and feelings, your body will start to scream at you. And you'll know, you, you you know, you're not listening to yourself. So it just gets louder and louder. Um, other things that I used to check quite a lot. So I used to say that there was a funny smell in the wardrobes in my room, which no one else could smell. And see, it's all heightened senses, I guess, like going back to that wild heart, that highly sensitive person description that I talked about in the, the very first episodes. 
And there was another thing when I used to cycle to school, I used to get my dad to um, tighten up the mud guard on my bike because when I used to go over all the bumps, I used to have to go down this really bumpy road to go to school. The the mud guard would go up and down, it would rattle and that, that would annoy me. But again, it's just like wanting everything to be perfect. I also think it was a, a way of getting my dad to pay attention to me and get him to do something for me I'd obviously worked out at a young age that my dad liked to be needed and so if I gave him a job to do then I knew that I would get his time and attention um I've actually written a whole blog about perfectionism which I'm going to link to in the show notes because I think if those of you are listening and you're resonating with what I'm saying I think you'll be able to you'll find it quite helpful um but really the sad thing about perfectionism is perfectionism is that it's just total abandonment of yourself is like the last ditch attempt to be seen to be loved um and it's really common in families where there's a limited capacity for emotional connection everything is about what it looks like you know it's the looks good on paper family the perfect family which is why i always worry about people that show up perfectly online because I I know how um, exhausting that is and really you know I I feel like when I see people that feel the need to be perfect my heart goes out to them um, because I just want to say to them you know take take the mask off just be yourself but you know the fear of judgment and the way that they've been conditioned to show up like that is so ingrained in them that, that that is scary. Effectively, you don't feel safe enough to be yourself. That's what it is. <sighs> do, you think I should, do you think? Do you think? Do you think this is a bit of a depressing episode? <laughs> Sorry, it is. It this, this stuff is quite heavy. This toxic puddle stuff, and there's going to be five episodes of it. So, if you need to take a break from it, please take care of yourself because it can be quite triggering. You might hear stop be hearing stuff for the first time and think, shit, I didn't realise that was me. And, you know, I'm, whilst I'm not responsible for your feelings, you are. I'm aware that I'm talking about stuff that, you know, might be the first time you're hearing it. So just just press pause and take a break from it and come back when you're ready <laughs> or, or speak to someone that can help you with that. So that that's the mental stuff. And now we're going to talk about feelings which i believe in 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 dysfunctional families are contagious they are contagious so in america i i read somewhere that when a soldier comes back from war and has ptsd the whole family gets treated for ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder because that energy is contagious well that's like the toxic puddle remember you're all sitting in that energy so whatever's in that puddle you're all getting it but it's usually just one member of the family that's acting it out more than the others I mean sometimes that role can be passed around and the kids can take it in turns but it's not normally the adults doing it but it's the adults that are holding the stuff it's not their fault either it's their parents stuff that they're holding on to but they are responsible they are responsible for healing that. Let me just read you something from my book, Stuck Between Two Worlds, because this um, really resonated with a lot of people I, I when I quoted it online. 
You could walk into a room and sense the mood of the people in it. It's like their feelings stick to you like Velcro or you absorb them like a sponge. You could be queuing in a shop and all of a sudden a pang of anger or sadness which could be from the person standing next to you. Over time, you'll learn to work out what belongs to you and what belongs to others. And that's why we must protect our energy, Ruby, because we get tired feeling everyone else's feelings. And it also makes it hard to be with our own. Yeah. So if you're, if you as a kid were the buffer in your family, if you were holding a lot of the pain, of course you can't work out, feel your own bloody feelings because you're stuffed full of everyone else's. And I really think that is the challenge for Wild Hearts to... It's it's really hard. Again, it goes back to your attachment style with your primary caregiver, I think. It's really hard to um, not take on those thoughts and feelings but still remain present and in connection with the other person or the other people in the room. You've just got to be... It's about strengthening your inner boundaries. You've just got to be more boundaried about what you take on you're not responsible for everyone and everything and you can't be you can only be responsible for yourself and come on let's be honest that's bloody hard enough on some days isn't it <laughs> but let's just say that you grew up in a house with an alcoholic parent or a, 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 a parent rageful parent who was very emotionally dysregulated that would have been terrifying for you and because you needed that parent for survival so your source of love and safety is also dangerous and unpredictable and 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 that's why you start taking on other people's feelings because it's been you've had to do that to keep yourself safe as a kidder and then you've just that was a coping strategy in childhood and now it doesn't serve you as an adult it's actually a pain in the ass but uh yeah you, you you can keep you can keep yourself safe as an adult now that's where that comes from and I did talk about that in my episode when I did a reflection on self-love for Valentine's Day so if you haven't heard that one yet you might want to go back and listen to it so the way I describe feelings to the children when I work with them and I will describe them to you like this as well because I think again if you have been raised taking on everyone else's feelings thoughts and feelings then it's hard to decipher what yours are we talk about them in terms of colour, texture, weight, size, animals. So we, we find symbolism, ways of describing them. Also, the step on from that is to then close your eyes and go inside the body and identify where that feeling comes in. Because if you're doing that, then you can go, is this mine or is this someone else's? And you'll be surprised how... I mean, it, it sounds really kind of um, silly, if you like, but one of the things that I was taught to do was to set a timer on my phone and every two hours I would, the timer, would, the alarm would go off and I would put my hand on my heart and take a deep breath in and go inside and say, how do I feel right now? So I'm, instead of being attuned to everyone else and my environment, which is what I was conditioned to do, I'm now forging a connection with myself and it's a conscious repeated habit that happens every two hours now you know I didn't do it every two hours if I was driving or you know doing something the alarm would still go off and maybe I'd remember to do it afterwards maybe I wouldn't but 
if you're regularly doing that, you're training your brain to, you're creating new neural pathways where your brain is saying me first, my feelings first, not other. So I don't, I don't know if that's helpful to you, but I used to run a series of weekly classes called the Energy Pod. And they're all still online if you want to buy them. They're available as replays. I did all the feelings and I'll put a link to them in the show notes. But even if you're adults or kids, the same rules apply. Like if you just see a feeling as energy coming into the body, it's your job is to feel it, understand it. It's got a message for you and then learn to release it. But what people find hard to do is sit with their feelings. They want to give them to someone else or eat on them or do something with them because some feelings are distinctly uncomfortable and again we've got to work our feeling feeling muscles and get comfortable with the language of feelings you know the words we use to describe them so often when I when I start coaching with a child I would just speak to the parent first always so you'd have the parent on the call and you'd say um, can you tell me what your goal is for coaching? And so they'd start to tell you about, you know, the behaviours and things that they were seeing that would concern them. And I would say, and how does that make you feel? You know, we joke about the fact that that's what a therapist will say to everything. And how does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel? And how, I mean, that's just the um, that's just the question for everything, really, because it's it's in your feelings is where you're empowered to take action. And it's worth mentioning that your thoughts drive your feelings. I don't know if you know that. So it's thoughts drive the feelings, drive your behavior. So you'd ask the parent, how does that make you feel? And they would say, well, what I thought I'd do is I was going to go up the school and I was going to write an email. And and there was no feeling adjectives. The parent was void of all emotional language. And there is an emotional literacy piece of work that I used to do with the children. But then remember, you're putting them back into a toxic puddle where they've got emotionally illiterate parents. So it's like, you know, living in a toxic puddle with two people one person speaking Spanish and the other one speaking French you know they're not speaking the same language and they're not emotionally connected to one another which for a child does not feel safe you need to be emotionally connected to your caregiver to feel safe and loved so yeah I would check out the energy pod if you're interested in I mean even if you did them as an adult if you did them, if you took your inner child to those classes, <laughs> honestly, your inner child will love them because, you know, they will be having fun and they will get to express themselves and they will feel emotionally safe. It, what I found interesting was every week when I would announce what feeling we were doing. So we do worry, anger, and then I did kindness, love, gratitude. No one signed up for the good feelings. They all signed up for the negative ones. Because they're all the ones that they're trying to avoid or get rid of or they're struggling with. But actually, you need the good ones to balance out the other ones. Like when you're feeling anxious, the best thing you can do is offer yourself love, compassion and and kindness. But no one bought those classes because I think they were probably, I don't know, I'm assuming that they were thinking, well, we are kind. Well, we do love each other. But they weren't being kind to themselves because they were trying to rid themselves of anger and rid themselves of shame and anxiety and the the job is not to rid yourself of anything the job is to radically accept that when you feel something that's where you are in the moment and if you allow yourself to feel it it will just pass through your body 
because you can't you can't avoid feelings well you can you can distract yourself from them and you can keep busy and you can hide them from other people and you can wear a mask and pretend that you're okay you know, always think of that song i don't know who it's by but it's that song that says behind the painted smile the tears of a clown who is that that sings that song i have to look it up now maybe you need to look up the lyrics for that song hang on a minute i'm going to look up the lyrics for that song hold on Oh, I just learned something new. That song was sung by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Show my age now. I was brought up on Motown, so that's why I know that song. And But do you know who wrote that song? Stevie Wonder wrote that song. I never knew that. Did you? Um, it says, if there's a smile on my face, if only, if only... They're trying to fool the public, but when it comes to fooling you, that's quite a different subject. But don't let my glad expression give you the wrong impression, because really I'm sad. I'm sadder than sad. Like a clown, I appear to be glad. So it's about to say I appear to be carefree, but but only to camouflage my sadness and to shield my pride and to cover my hurt with a show of gladness. So, yeah, so it's like a mask that we wear to protect ourselves again, because it's not safe for us to be vulnerable. Well, where did that come from? Who taught us that it wasn't safe to be sad or wasn't safe to be angry or what happened when you express those feelings? Um, yeah, so you can you can stuff your feelings down with food you can drink on them you can smoke on them you can shop on them you can gamble on them vape on them snort coke on them that's you trying to numb out the painful ones but when you numb out one feeling you numb them all out it's not you can't selectively go oh i don't want to feel anxious but i want to feel joy it doesn't work like that um i think it was brené brown that said when you numb out one you numb them all But a real test to see how emotionally literate you are is to notice how you feel when other people are emotional. And that's a good one if you have got kids because they're still learning and their brains are still growing. So our ability to sit with our own emotions is reflected in other. So if somebody else is sad or angry or frustrated or happy, what does that bring up in you? Can you sit with that? pain that tension that discomfort or do you want to fix it for them can you sit with them in their emotional state and hold space for their truth while they process work through those emotions so so back to the puddle energetically as a wild heart if you don't have those mental and emotional boundaries like i've said and you're around people who are incredibly fearful or very negative or very traumatized then that is going to have an impact on you. It's contagious. You know, like, I think we've all got a friend or we all know someone that's a bit like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. You know, that that friend whose glass is always half empty. And, and really what that friend is doing is that friend is looking for all the danger and is keeping everyone safe. That probably was their job growing up. Um, and then you have other people that are just, don't seem to be bothered by that sort of stuff at all but um 
Yeah, those those people. I feel sad for those people a little bit, but they are bloody annoying <laughs> to be around <laughs> because you know you come up. I'm full of ideas, and you come up with good ideas, and you're really excited, and you say, "What about this?" and "What about that?" and they go, "Oh." I don't think that's going to work. Well, if you thought about this and if you, you know, like they piss all over your cornflakes, literally. <laughs> and our brains do that anyway. You know, our brains don't see the good. They notice what's wrong and what's missing and what isn't right. So we can do that for ourselves when we're in a negative thought spiral. We don't need a friend. I'm doing Ross from Friends air quotes. We don't need a friend to point that out to us, do they? Um, but that's why it's really good to take on a daily j- gratitude practice and start to train your brain to see the good because there is good everywhere there's helpers everywhere there are good people but a traumatized brain will just see danger 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 and will not trust anyone and that's again it's like a muscle you've got to start flexing those muscles and you have to do it in baby steps you know, what your window of tolerance will allow. It's called your window of tolerance, like what you can withstand and for how long. And it's not wrong that you can't. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh, this is bad. But it's it's something that takes work. And the same goes really for being around emotionally dysregulated adults. If you're around children, that's different. But if you're around adults that can't regulate their own feelings, I just wouldn't hang around with those people because they um, will always expect you to pick up the tab for them. And if you're a wild heart, you will be prone to doing that anyway. So you've got to have really strong boundaries not to take on their stuff. (laughs) I mean, I was emotionally dysregulated before I got into therapy. And I was smoking and drinking and doing all the things that I've talked about in this episode, which is how come I seem to be so knowledgeable about it. I'm speaking from firsthand experience, so I'm not making anyone wrong. Um, but, but when you are emotionally dysregulated, which people now say triggered quite flippantly, like, oh, I'm triggered. But triggered in the true sense, like trauma triggered means that you're having an emotional flashback and you're going back to a really young version of you where you feel helpless and small and you're being very childlike so your past is coming into the present and is and is almost taking over and you can tell when that happens because the emotional response you're having to what's going on in the present moment is out of proportion is disproportionate to what is going on it's an old wound that's now bleeding over everyone in the present let's just say so where are you Let's think about journal prompts. Where are you leaking precious energy, time, emotions and thoughts? Where are you stuck in thought loops? Where are you taking on other people's stuff? Where are you being overly responsible? They're good things to journal on, but a good journal practice every day is just to do that check in and notice how you're feeling and writing down your thoughts. So, yeah, when we journal, we don't say, I went to the shops today and bought a quarter of bananas and shrimps or rhubarb and custards you know like we did as a kid and I got a magazine and I fell over and scraped my knee and my friend it's not that kind of journaling I know you know that I'm being sarcastic it's I feel try and write a whole page in your journal with every sentence starting as I feel and use an emotional language to describe feelings now I'm going to help you today by finishing off because I'm aware of the time it's 35 minutes I've been gabbling on for so I'm going to share with you some emotional equations which I love these 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 help you to become 
uh, more emotionally literate, if you can understand the energy behind your feelings. And if you can't find a word to describe your emotions, as I said, talk about them in terms of texture, weight, colour. Talk about them as animals. Um, it's a really good way to um, get in touch with your feelings. This is how we teach feelings to children, really. So uh, despair. What is despair? Oh, it's black. It's black on this ladder that I've got here. Despair equals suffering minus meaning. Oh, I think that's probably quite true now of the world, isn't it? Has life lost its meaning and purpose? So that is despair. Disappointment. Oh, they've put that down as blue on here. Dark blue. Disappointment is expectations minus reality. That's interesting, isn't it? It's true, though, isn't it? If you have expectations of someone, especially ones that you haven't communicated, and then they show up differently, you do feel disappointed. And how many of you, when you're disappointed, say to the other person, oh, no, no, it's fine. No, no, it's absolutely fine. Again, you're denying your emotional experience. Be real with that person and say, it's okay to say, oh, I'm so disappointed. I feel disappointed because I was hoping that X, Y and Z would have happened. Then you're sharing your reality with them and they can say, oh, I didn't realise you felt like that. And you can say no, because I never told you. Like a lot of expectations for people we hold in our minds. But do we actually communicate them? I used to say that to families with children, like where have you got rules written up on? Where are they written? Like all of these rules that children have to remember, but where are they written? Because you've got all these things in your head that you need them to do. They've got a gazillion and one things to remember because they're learning and growing up. Write it down, write it down. And communicate your expectations to people. Like I expect you to be on time or I expect you to be kind and not swear at me when you're angry. That's not okay. And that's that's boundaries really, isn't it? Regret is disappointment plus responsibility. So let's just think about that at the moment. So regret is disappointment. So you're feeling sad about something that you feel responsible for. So you wish that it had turned out differently. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? That makes sense. Jealousy is mistrust divided by self-esteem. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So so you, you don't think very highly of yourself. Well, I just don't know if it's about mistrusting the other person as so much as it's about mistrusting yourself. And then envy is pride and vanity divided by kindness. I don't understand that one. I need to think about that for a bit longer. That's not making... The whole division thing, maybe it's because it's become a maths equation and I'm shite at maths, that that's making my brain see it in a different way. Anxiety is uncertainty and powerlessness together. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Life is riddled with uncertainty. There's so little that we're in control of and yet we try and control it. Curiosity is wonder plus awe. That's yellow. We'll love a bit of curiosity. Hands up if you're a lifelong learner. And authenticity 
and this is orange, is self-awareness times courage. So being aware of your thoughts, your feelings, knowing yourself really well and having the courage to show up as that person. No masks, no masks, no masks. Narcissism (laughs) is self-esteem squared times entitlement. Yeah, so an inflated sense of self-esteem and entitlement. I definitely think the world has become more narcissistic. And I definitely think that social media is responsible for that. I was um, I was out the other day and I was talking to a young girl. And um, I always try and talk to young people because I feel that that connection is important. We were talking anyway about her job and her career and what she wanted to do with her life. And um, we were talking about how hard it is because, you know, she was saying, I don't know how it is to live a life without a phone in my hand. Like my whole life has been on camera. And I was like, wow, because I can't relate to that. I mean, I can imagine what that feels like. I knew as a child what it felt like to be scrutinized and watched all the time, but it wasn't then put out publicly to the world for everyone to see. I've experienced life off camera and on camera, so I ha- I can differentiate between the two. But for kids that are growing up now, if we don't have stronger boundaries around and, and, and laws around our online activity, it's going to have such a detriment, detrimental effect on people's self-esteem and their sense of self. Integrity. Integrity is authenticity times invisibility times reliability. I don't understand the invisibility bit. I understand the reliability bit showing up as your true self. I'm not quite sure what that means. Someone enlighten me in the comments. Happiness. Wanting what you have over having what you want. Wanting what you have, having what you want. Yeah, it's a balance between the two, isn't it? I see that division thing might be like a a balance between the two. Joy, this one is pink, is love minus fear. And that's why joy when you're a trauma survivor is so freaking hard because you grew up in a toxic puddle of fear. Trauma makes us scared of everything. We're so terrified of everything. And so it's so hard to let love and joy in because because there's always fear lurking in the background. Wisdom is experience, the square root of experience. How would I describe wisdom? Yeah, wisdom is being wise because you've walked the path, isn't it? It's the learnings and the lessons that come from walking the path. So so this podcast is born out of experience. I'm not a qualified therapist, as I've said before. Obviously, I'm a qualified life coach, but I don't really know what that means. But I have walked this healing path for a number of years. And so I'm wise in the respect that I've I've lived it. I know what it's like to live it. And I feel that that's really healing for survivors too because, I mean, if you go online now, there is quite a big community of people that are talking about um, traumatic experiences and childhood trauma and, and the like. 
and that's healthy because it dissolves shame and it makes other survivors feel safe enough to tell their stories so yes but we we only get wise from experience and I was thinking the other day about children who are mollycoddled and don't have a lot of experience in their lives we are actually motivated by pain as humans you know we either go towards pain or we run away from it but we're motivated by pain like most people don't turn up to therapy until they've experienced excruciating amounts of pain in their life and they can't be with the pain any longer you know even drug addicts you know the drugs don't work that's the song isn't it they've stopped working I'm in so much pain I need help now anyway I think that's enough of my waffleage for today so I hope that's helpful that's your mental and emotional stuff next time we're going to talk about toxic relationships are you tolerating toxic relationships so I shall look forward to speaking to you then Until next time, stay wild, choose love, so much love to you. Ta-ta.